Tampa Bay Buccaneers are Super Bowl 55 champions, led by Tom Brady. And that's it, it's over. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. Hello and welcome to episode number 47 of For Future Considerations, the holiday edition, really, as we bridge Canada Day and the 4th of July coming up. Um, My name is Matt, Manny, John here as well. Boys, how are we doing? How was the holiday? Happy Canada Day. Yeah, yeah. My house is packed with uh, my nieces and my daughters, so... There's like girls everywhere in this place. (laughs) (laughs) So you want this episode to go for about four and a half hours, right? right? Like I'm, I'm in a room. Nobody bother me. Still recording, honey. Sorry. (laughs) John, how you doing? Good. Did some barbecuing on Canada Day and uh, uh, yeah, had a pop or two, so that was good. And there you go. That's nice. Literally, he did. Like it's a Pepsi, right? It's <laughs> yeah, two uh, that's yeah it's does. usually Pepsi or Mountain Dew. Actually, yeah. there you go. Speaking of barbecues, a big shout out to Coop up in Owen Sound who loved the shout out in our last OT episode with Ethan Burrows. He says he loves his Traeger grill so much. That he is inviting us to his place for a cookout, a swim, and a podcast recording. How about that, boys? We are in. Wow, nice. I'm going to have to buy trunks. (laughs) Nah, optional. (laughs) (laughs) Only until the sun goes down. (laughs) I might just have to give Coop a heads up. That's all. (laughs) Oh, this is how we always record. (laughs) We feel less restricted this way. Is that a problem? (laughs) Oh, man. We're going to have to send him. We're the only podcast that has to send a rider ahead of our uh, appearance. (laughs) Manny only likes the brown (laughs) M&Ms. Rashad does the show naked. (laughs) He just needs you to provide some sunscreen. Oh, we're off to a good start, aren't we? (laughs) Off to a great start. Uh, We also got a good listener question from Rob on a subject that generated a ton of feedback on our social media accounts at Podcast FFC on Twitter and Instagram and for future considerations on Facebook. The Montreal Canadiens didn't touch the Clarence Campbell Bowl while the Tampa Bay Lightning did touch the Prince of Wales trophy. What do you guys think of that superstition? It's got to be the worst superstition ever. I don't agree in it. You don't? No. You like, you agree in this? Uh, I, so I don't have a, I I like the, you don't touch the cup until you win the cup Uh, of, of just a rule in, in general for any human being, as far as I'm concerned, Uh, I would touch it. I would touch the trophy. Um, You won it. You earned it. You worked hard for it. Uh, so I, I understand the thinking behind it. Um, I, I do find it amusing that that's likely a conversation that they have to have before. Hey, boys, uh, we win this thing. What are we going to do? Um, it, I don't think it matters at all. Have they ever said anything about uh, like what the number looks like? Is if you haven't touched it or you had touched it, your winning percentage? I think Tampa Bay touched it last year yes, and they, they won did. it all. Yeah. Right? So yeah. I, like I... I get it. A lot of players are like, we'll touch it after the fact. Yeah. Right. If we win the cup, if we don't win the cup, we'll yeah. touch it after we're, the we're fact. We're going after I, the other one. I just, I just find it annoyingly amusing that people always talk about, oh, did yes. they touch it? Did they not touch it? Yeah. I don't believe in that. John? 
what I had heard originally for the Clarence Campbell Bowl is uh, part of the reason people didn't want to pick it up is because the lid used to come come off. And it looked embarrassing when you pick it up and the lid would fall off when you held it over your head. And I think the NHL has attached the lid now, so it can't come off. But I definitely remember that in the late 80s or early 90s. It might have been, I don't know if it was the Canucks or not, but uh, somebody when they won the uh, Western Conference, yeah, the lid came flying off when they picked That's it up. That's funny. Now that'd be a reason not to touch it. Yeah. It's the league that was one of some of the most prestigious and the trophies in the world. Yeah, just I don't know, just put it on the top. What is, they're not going to. It's got to yank it off. Come on now. And uh, hockey is the main subject for this episode of the OT. Yeah, absolutely. We promised we were going to get uh, ready for the NHL draft taking part at the end of July. And who better to get on the podcast when one of the top eyes of the talent in the hockey world? This guy is a two-time Stanley Cup champion with the LA Kings, winning the NHL championship in 2012 and 2014, and he held the roles of assistant general manager, director of amateur scouting, director of player personnel, vice president of hockey operations with the Kings. Is that all at the same time? <laughs> he probably did. He <laughs> yeah. just doesn't have it that way. Fair enough. Also, if that's not enough... He's won an Ontario Hockey League Executive of the Year Award. He's got a gold medal for Ontario's U-17 team. He's dabbled in broadcasting with Sportsnet, considered by many to have a keen eye for up-and-coming talent, and has helped engineer some one-sided trades in the National Hockey League. And I hear if he ran for the position of Mayor of Midland, he would win in a landslide. (laughs) Please welcome to For Future Considerations, Mike Fuda. Mike! Just hearing that voice brings back so many memories. <laughs> so many memories. And by the way, I've got all those titles on my new business card. I carry it around. <laughs> in my wallet. It looks like a drive-in movie screen. <laughs> like the old wallets with all the uh, kids' pictures sliding yeah, out the it's bottom like, of it. I keep it on top of my roof rack. And just pull them off. Nobody wants to see it. Just anybody's looking to hire. It's like the George Costanza where he's trying to fold the wallet. <laughs> well, Futes, thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. And now, it, honestly, as thrilled I was to get a chance to reunite with you, Matty D's here. Holy smokes. An old time, yeah. It's, it's Futes, old. I, I still remember the golf tournament that we played in, where I think at 17, I had my easiest shot of the day a, a chip in and, and putted. And your uh, your comment uh, ended the or entered the um, Bayshore Broadcasting Hall of Fame talking about how he's you were surprised that I hadn't won a green jacket yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, Clark I think there's never been something lost, <laughs> I was, uh, and that's I think why uh. Mike Stuthers and I hit it off so well because we uh, was quite a bond we formed there. And that's the one thing I think just in life in general, if you can't have fun, uh, even Dean Lombardi, some of the stuff that I said to him, he was like, are you kidding me? Do you know who you're talking to? And I'm like, well, <laughs> if you think I'm changing, you're getting what you get. I mean, I'll work, <laughs> I'll work my ass off. But if you can't have fun, you can't laugh. It's not going to be uh, it's not for me. <laughs> Uh, we have a million places we could start, but maybe let's just uh, quickly get your thoughts on the Stanley Cup playoffs to this point. Oh, they're, they're going on? <laughs> <laughs> you do sound like an analyst. <laughs> oh, my, well, I went from, well, first of all, I've had an incredible, I was so fortunate, like Elliot Friedman and, uh, had reached out and a good friend of mine, uh, 
Jonathan Davis from uh, Los Angeles and said, you know, you got to like, you got to do this TV stuff. I go like, you're, it's a natural. I said, well, I like being on the other end of it where people ask me questions, but it was just really something I was terrified of doing because first of all, my mind works in a different way. <laughs> so there's obviously going to be a card game going on before I say anything. And I learned that like from the media state of just being on the other side of the camera. And then it was, it was amazing to get involved in it. I remember my first, it was, it was, it was awesome, but you started talking about the playoffs and stuff like that. And it was like last year they were in the bubble and this year, you know, I picked Toronto to win, which clearly was a curse. And I was over. I just picked Tyler Toffoli just laughed at me because I picked Montreal to lose and lose and lose. And then finally I said, okay, Ty, I'm picking Tampa to win just so I give you guys a shot. <laughs> but it was, it's like, it's been crazy. I mean, I, I think the Leafs disappointed a lot of people, uh, obviously. Um, I love the makeup they had and they must be pinching themselves seeing what Montreal's done. But you, you just never know. Having been through the adventure, that's part of it is the ride you go along, things happen. You never know what's going to happen. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be hit, post-hit. There's going to be bad calls, good calls. You need luck, but you need depth. And some of these teams that have depth right now, a.k.a. the Tampa Bay Lightning, they look pretty frightening. And I didn't I did mean for that to rhyme. <laughs> There's a lot to like about Tampa, and, and Montreal's run has been has been outstanding as well. When you look at teams that now go this far, and Montreal obviously was uh, was unexpected, Tampa Bay maybe uh, more of uh, an expectation from them, even as the defending champions. When you look at those teams and how they're built, does that change the way you view the game or the way you would view a, a roster you would put together, seeing the success that they're having? No, it's just a, you just tip your hat because having been through it before uh, with Dean Lombardi and uh, and we just used to sit and just there was just wall after wall of rosters and potential rosters and you you know you draft well you have great young players uh, we had great young we had prior to I getting there it's funny the gentleman that um, Al, Al who's the head scout for uh, Al who's the head scout for Tampa Bay was the guy who I replaced he had been 19 years and Al Murray just a wonderful human being and he kind of he drafted Kopitar and uh, and Quick and uh, and and uh, sorry Brownie right so there were some nice young pieces in place um, had a lot of misses but to see him in such a wonderful gentleman leave and kind of going in and then we add all these, I had like in such insider trading with regards to the guys I knew from under 17 in the OHL that it was almost like Dean was like handed the keys over and said, we're going to put together an OHL all-star team here. And uh, Hex wanted a WHL all-star team run. Hex up and I had to tell him to stop that. <laughs> stop that. I told him that on a phone call because I didn't want him to kill me live. <laughs> but, but it was, uh, you know, we just built a roster. And then when you get to a certain point where your young guys are there, we added the perfect, and this is where Dean was magical. We added Jared Stoll and and Matt Green, and then Justin Williams, and then, I mean, the day we traded, he said, "Listen, I'm going to trade your son." And clearly, Wayne Simmons is my son, but we traded Wayne Simmons and uh, Braden Shen for Mike Richards, who had crushed me as a Kitchener Ranger, and uh, I had the fortune of coaching him at the under 17s and knew exactly what we're getting. Uh, Jeff Carter, I co- and all of a sudden, all these guys are rolling in. You know, Brad Richardson. It was like old. It was like old times, Jake Buzz, and all of a sudden, you look at your roster and realize the depth, but the luck. And I said this today, and I don't want to keep rolling, but I mean, 
That 2012 year, we played the same six defensemen from December 15th to the day we hoisted the cup. So you think about all the injuries and changes. Like We were just so fortunate that those guys, and they were banged up, but to play the same 6D, and they were that good, and Jonathan Quick was at the top of his game, it allowed us to make certain mistakes along the way. And just we had so much depth, and everybody was under contract, and two Stanley Cups in three years, and then the boys had a little too much fun and decided to few of them wanted to get arrested <laughs> <laughs> and the salary cap is not built for arrest <laughs> yeah well let, let's talk about that 2012 season because that was unbelievable LA's first trip to the finals since 93 their first ever NHL title you make that trade for your guys you mentioned Jeff Carter and Mike Richards before the season begins mid-season Terry Murray let go you bring in Daryl Sutter. You finished eighth in the conference, yet you won it all. What was it about that team? Well, it's funny, Manny and Maddie, because there's people been called, like I've been talking to these people, and they're like about the similarities between Montreal and what they did and what we did in 2012. And it's not being, I, I don't see it other than the fact because we had to win, I think we had to win nine of 12 down the stretch to make the playoffs, to get the eighth seed, right? And this is after we had acquired Daryl. And uh, we were just, uh, we were abusing teams down the stretch. And Vancouver at the time had an asterisk beside him for like two months. So we knew if we got the eighth seed, who we were playing. And we felt we matched up extremely well with them. And the fact that they hadn't played really meaningful games for a long time, they're about to get in a steel cage with a team that's just grind, has been grinding it out, right? And that's why with the Montreal thing, they literally were like in a stationary bike race playing their worst hockey. They didn't have their best goalie down the stretch. They got in and they found their fire during the playoffs because they were just fizzled out, right, before the playoffs. And and they've gone on a run. But in 2012, we went up three games to nothing in every series, actually swept in the second round against St. Louis. And every game was a battle. It wasn't like we were just kicking the crap out of teams. But we never faced elimination. And it was something to watch. And, I mean, our guys were – the first year, our guys were just whizzing up and down. It was like, they, I hear that story about the Young Islanders. Nobody felt, they were pain, but there was no pain. Like in, 2004, in 2012, the guys were walking down the aisles with intravenous attached to them, and it was something else. But it was, I just felt that team was destined. Um, Daryl was doing an incredible job. Terry Maria had taught us how to play defense, but we just took on a new, they just believed in themselves so much. And it was, it was incredible to watch. There was never a doubt. And then in the last game, here you are is like in my position thinking, oh, my God, because it kept going in my mind that I had felt short and no one sound. It killed me that I hadn't delivered the promised land. And then here I am sitting there. You know, I hired Mike Stuthers as an American League coach. And here I am watching our team about to win a Stanley Cup with all these OHL guys that Owen Sound basically had allowed me the opportunity to get this insider trading thing on. And we went up like – Five nothing or something in the first period. Like Rob Scuderi got checked from behind, and we scored. Our power play it was absolutely brutal. Other than Bernie Nichols thinking he was doing a great job coaching it, <laughs> and then I think we scored four goals in the five on uh, on the five minute major. And now you're watching, and every dream in your life is going through your head because there's two periods left, and you're, you're not going to lose this game. But you're looking at the clock, and it was literally going like, <laughs> like oh my god! And then all of a sudden the celebration, and it's great. But I mean. It's something I've always dreamt of. And again, that you're, 
the one thing I talked about before we got on was while I was sitting there, I'm like, wow, what am I going to do with the day with the cup? And I'm like, it's going on sound, baby. <laughs> yeah. It's going on sound. My daughters are going to be in tow. So anyways, it was a lot of fun. I want to talk about that too, but I'm glad you shared that story because John's a Canucks fan and I'm glad that you rubbed it in a little bit there <laughs> for him. Uh, I remember John, that. But they, John, they've done exceptionally well since then. <laughs> <laughs> and I can only, All right, well, I thanks for joining I, us. It's been fun. <laughs> you guys, I mean, I don't know. You guys riot when you lose. You riot when you don't make the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you. Well, at least you've got you've got you've got some great young players. I block signing them. They just need to get ready to. They just need to get ready to lock that city down for when they ever uh, win again. I mean, now they have parades when you sign a guy. <laughs> oh my god Elias Peterson's let's get the parade Elias Peterson's thing <laughs> didn't you guys have a parade when you had the Sandines whatever titles you just well, now they just I know another thing they just signed the Sandines to the I mean it's not like they've got any financial dent in the city but to name the Sandines as the ambassadors for your AHL team <laughs> that took a lot of forethought <laughs> they've never they've been ever been near an American Hockey League game in their life. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't even know how to get to that rink, do they, by now? Because that's what Rob Blake said to me the first game I went to, and God, this wasn't a shot. It was Ken, I told Ken Campbell, way to take it out of tech. Rob is the GM of the American League team, and we're sitting there in Manchester. He goes, Futes, I've never even been to an AHL game. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not a knock. That's the guy. The guy went straight. This is a Hall of Fame player. Went right to the NHL and onto the Hall of Fame. He doesn't know what the American League is. <laughs> um, the 2014 championship team, uh, you beat the Rangers in five games, but then your team was the first team in NHL history to win three game sevens on the road in a single postseason to advance to the finals. Um, what do you remember made the, that team so special and uh, so resilient? It was just because I started to wonder when we lost to Chicago in the 2013 in the conference finals in a battle and we had some injuries and guys were out. I'm like, this is how hard it is to win this again. Wow. And then we go in and I actually thought we had the team to win a Stanley Cup. And our guys believed it. it was, that was the funny thing. Like the way this team, had the, the culture that had been built. And Justin Williams and Kopitar and Jonathan Quick was the best. We went down 3 nothing to San Jose. And when we won game four, Quick, he scraped right to the bench. And he basically pointed at everybody on the bench. And just I remember Justin Williams, like we're kind of, Daryl wants, we're not really around the team in the playoffs. We're on the plane, but it's like that that's their little group and that's just coaches and coaches and support staff and, and the team. And uh, I remember just remember Justin Williams and Kopey walking by me and going, we're beating San Jose Fuchs. And I'm like, Oh, good. That's good. And <laughs> we went on to beat them in seven games. And then of course we go down to Anaheim and in game seven, I think we won by, we might've won by six or seven goals. All I remember our goal, our team, like Marion Gavrick, it was, they were chanting "Nana Nana goodbye" and chanting our chants in Anaheim's rink, and it was just unbelievable. And then again, we go to Chicago, Game Seven, which was the most electric building that I had ever been to up to up till Vegas. Chicago was just you couldn't hear. Like usually in the press box, you can hear. 
couldn't even hear. And Dean and I were looking at each other like, we're against all odds here. And Chicago and us, we've gone back. We kind of, we used wrestling in LA where we traded the belts back and forth. And here we are. And then Alec Martinez scored in double overtime. And we're like, wow. Like, New York's in big trouble. <laughs> like, <laughs> and they were. Big trouble. And then uh, Justin Williams was on his roll, scoring all the overtime goals. And then we got into that series. And, and uh, they made it interesting, but it wasn't our team just – was at another level with regards to the experience and just knowing they were going to win and and to do it that way with all the game sevens, as opposed to what I talked to you about the first year, that almost reminded me because we had already won. It's not the same as the Montreal group, but as far as the feeling of facing elimination three times and thinking tomorrow we're done and we're out, which we never felt in 2012. That for me in the press box was the most like you always knew there was another lifeline in 2012 and 2000 or sorry in 2014 you had no clue the guys would have you were confident in them but one bad bounce one thing goes the wrong way and you're all done interested to to get your thoughts on on what that momentum is like when you're when you're pushing through the playoffs you get to the the stanley cup finals and and you know as you mentioned you win three game sevens on the road as you're going through because you in the positions that you would have been are fairly hands-off at that point you're almost looking towards the draft and and kind of preparing for the next year right kind of looking a little bit uh at a wider lens what's that like to see your team just hitting that stride like that and and what's your day-to-day involvement with the team when they're on that kind of a run through the playoffs well 2014 was more sit back and just enjoy it. Um, I mean, I always had to leave and go back to the combines with marking it, which is always pretty amazing because you remember when you were building. And we joked about the draft floor, right? Like I started out, like the stage was right there, <laughs> right? I, everybody thought, that's the coolest thing. You got the first row and I'm like, you don't want it. <laughs> it's not a live event concert <laughs> where you want floors, you want front floors. <laughs> You want to be as further, you want the longest walk possible. And that was kind of like our growth. We talked as a group about, wow, we're kind of, we're hitting later in the order here. And then to be sitting in table 30 a couple times, you don't even care if you have a pick at that stage, right? Because you're just, you know that you've achieved the ultimate goal. But for me, it was always, I wanted to stay busy all the time, like all the time. It was never one of those uh, kind of fat cat, we're winning, let's just sit back and take it all in. Because you can get, once you start realizing the difference between driving in blizzards and no one's sound and sitting on a chartered flight, the LA Kings, you'd be shocked there's a different lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I love the food that was served at the Bay Shore. <laughs> it's a little bit different, yeah, huh? So I think it was Beach, which was her name? Was a, who, who, Bernice. 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 The one, yeah, yeah. as much as that was wonderful, and I'm sure it was delivered for, I know for at least five years, everything came from Kelsey's and Montana's or somebody would be shot. <laughs> <laughs> but it was literally like to get on that first flight and see the menu i was like what is going on up here he <laughs> <laughs> has a seatbelt on everybody has this massive lounger i'm like okay maybe is this officially when they say you've made it when you get on a plane like this but for me i always would come back i was a huge part of the combines i didn't want to miss any of that because that was all going on but it was a different feeling going to combine when you were still in it and uh, it, it was just a different, okay, boys, uh, you know, that, now we go, watch a, we go watch a game. And Dean made that a big point. They go, he goes, future, such a big part of that staff. Don't ever miss those moments with your staff because they don't need to think. You, you're going to be here when it comes down to the crunch. But 
for them to for you to miss a big meeting and then go where's Pute? Oh, he's he's in the box watching a game which I had no control over, nothing on. You just wanted to be there. I made sure I was always in those grinded out meetings with the boys, so they realized, hey, this is where we started, and that was kind of my role. And then once that ended, the fi- you know the fi- finals were on, and then it was more trying to find ways to uh, convince tickets which i found out you don't get free tickets in the playoffs so that's what i i think i basically took my uh i think i basically took my entire playoff bonus and may as well just handed it back to league and tickets for the amount of (laughs) my family and it was well worth it in the end but it's hilarious how people would like i literally have people call me or like like send a facebook request or something like hey if you've got like guys that i haven't seen since high school like hey if you got an extra pair for the final and i'm like (laughs) I'm spending three thousand dollars a ticket to the. I didn't even get even inkling the guy was going to send me a credit card number. It was almost like, you know, you know, hire me a couple of comps, you know, for that game in New York. You know, and I, like, the only thing that surprised me, I still remember the guy's name. I'm like, I'm surprised he didn't ask me to fly him down. <laughs> it's a great feeling. It's a great run, but. Anytime you win a championship, it's and that's why when we, we kind of fell off the map there, it was really difficult. But, you know, you look for new challenges, how to build it again. So. Mike Fuda is our guest here on For Future Considerations. Off to a great start here. You touched on it a little bit, Mike, and I want to ask you about bringing the cup to Owen Sound. But you touched on the, the OHL All-Star team a little bit. Like uh, having you drafted Wayne Simmons, he was a key part to get Carter, to get um, Richards, right? You draft... Doughty, you draft to Foley, you convince Muzzin to sign with you guys because he was a free agent. Um, so can you paint us a picture of how your insider knowledge of the OHL helped you build this all-star team to help the Kings win it all? Well, first, like, it's like insider trading. Like, I mean, I started with these guys. Like, I knew Tyler Foley when he was in Pee Wee, right? So there were certain players, and the one thing – I think a lot of people can pick out guys that are great players on the ice. But the one thing that I found that was something, whether I think it's probably because I've got great parents and I've had some great coaches, was the ability to sit across from somebody and really kind of figure out what character really means. And I mean, Stutz and I talk about this all the time. So I had a chance to sit with these guys. And, you know, I still remember my my group in um, in, in my, my last coaching stint at the under 17, I mean, my first line was Anthony Stewart or was supposed to be Anthony Stewart, uh, Nathan Horton and uh, Mike Richards. And my second line, I think was like Corey Perry, Brad Richardson and Dylan Hunter. It was like, it was like in certain, I, it, I mean, there was at least eight guys. I mean, Paul Bissonette, the reason we lost because Paul Bissonette was our best defenseman. (laughs) (laughs) I talked to him about all the time, but there's another story because I had a chance to, uh, Biss called me and I don't want to stray off, but you know, Biss from my, uh, I'm going to stray off because I will tell you this story about Paul Bissonette. Paul Bissonette, I fell in love with this guy coaching the arts. This is personality, right? And he's like, you got to get me to one sound. So he was captain on a Staganoff spirit at the time. And I was trying to trade for him. Staganau was well out of it. So we, our last time we play, I'm clearly tampering with him. Okay. So, <laughs> Bob, we play against the Spirit at in Owen Sound. And you know all the way to buildings, where my office at the time was and stuff. So the game ends. And our guys go to the dressing room. And my door swings open. And it's Biss, full Saginaw gear. 
he came off with our team and he's like, Fuse, are we getting close here? <laughs> I'm like, this, get out, get back with your team. By the time he got back to his room, Bob Mancini called me and said, Fuse, I suggest you throw in that other second pick. <laughs> Where I have to explain all this and that, just skate it off with your team. So, anyway. I want, hold on, on that note. Because I was the first guy to interview Biss when he got to Owen Sound. The first words out of his mouth were, oh, it's great to be in London. Oh, Owen Sound, my bad. He is just a comic genius. And I could tell you stories about, and I'm going to, I'm going to really, can I stray off for a second here? Yeah, Please. of course. Okay. Oh, because yeah. this is an Owen Sound, because it also tells me about character. So at the time, I had traded for this kid, Robin Bigsnake, who, in fairness, had everything we needed but character. And... I remember him coming in the first night. He almost threw my dog across the room, and I he I heard all these different things. How does a guy with, you know, thirty goals and five hundred minutes and penalties clear waivers? So we had got this angelic version of Robin who came in and got a Gordy Howe every night, and boom, 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 boom. And then as soon as the uh, trade deadline went out, Pandora's box opened, and we found out <laughs> what Robin's vices were, and uh, Paul. Biss came to me one night and he was just like as trembling as Piss could see. And he was, he was a few, I've never said anything about a teammate, but he was room. He, he goes every night, this Robin just takes my truck and leaves with my dad's truck. And then every morning I go out and there's like five big Mac boxes <laughs> <laughs> and a bunch of empty cans in the front. And I'm like, Oh, and he goes, I don't want to, like, I've never snitched on a teammate, but it is my dad's truck. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> not end well, and I said, "Bish, I'll never." So I ended up sending sending Robin home, and I remember, oh my God, whoever the politician was came in and just started freaking out on me. You, Billy Murdoch, Billy Murdoch, you only <laughs> built a team, and now you're playing this Mister Righteous. And I said, "We've got to care about these kids as young men," and he's breaking our rules. If he gets it together, we'll bring him back. And we ended up bringing him back. And unfortunately, uh, Billy Murdoch never understood what a great gr- growing moment that was for me as a general manager. Because you got to stick to your, you got to stick to your moral clauses. I mean, this is a city that we've taken on as our own. The fans are amazing, and it's not just about the product on the ice. It's about the young man we're developing off the ice. And Robin ended up um, uh, killing somebody in a vehicular manslaughter, driving drunk on his on his site, which is not something that's funny, but we were trying to prevent stuff like that from happening. Right. And at the time the fan base was not in overall, but so many people were so excited about the product and the ice. They didn't understand how hard I was trying to work to change this guy's life as a young man. And unfortunately you win some and you lose some, but uh, I would never change my tactics as far as trying to, trying to make sure this kid understands how important it is to take care of your life before you become a hockey hero. But I think the Owen Sound fans figured that out, though, Futes, because when you did bring the cup back to Owen Sound, I think everyone to a person was so grateful that you did that. So why did you do that? Well, there was a combination to I wanted them to understand that uh, I wanted the owners to understand, for one, um, you guys gave you gave me this opportunity, right? You took me out of, uh, I mean, there was probably a lot of glossier names at the time. I knew Frank Carnavalli was trying to take over the organization. And, I mean, I had a ton of respect through my conversations with, with Ray McKelvey at the time. But when I got to sit down across from 
Peter and Paul McDermott. I know it sounds like the Beatles. Peter and Paul. And Brian was Brian was there, but Paul and Peter kind of asked the hockey questions and stuff. I realized what a special group this was. And I hadn't even got a chance to meet Doc Severs by that point, who's one of the most incredible human beings that I've ever come across in my life. And I'm so proud that he was in the hospital room both times that my all three of my daughters were born. And it just became such a part of my community. I didn't want to let them down. I felt that I knew that I had changed the atmosphere in Owen Sound from the place that people didn't want to play to the place that everybody wanted to report. I actually had guys calling me trying to rig the draft to come to Owen Sound. And that was like beyond my wildest imaginations. Whether it was Bobby Ryan, I mean, we had some great players there. Everybody played with Bobby. You know, we had Mark Giordano, Wayne Simmons. Guys were now getting drafted high in the first round. And it was the place. And you realize when you got to the community, other than for a while, you're only supposed to eat in two restaurants. This is a great, (laughs) great, incredible community to bring up. And parents felt, because of the quality of the billets and stuff, that this is a great place to drop your son off. And And I've got Mike Stuthers, who's like a six foot five chiseled piece of granite, it's like dad number two that's going to make sure that they're in school and they're doing all the right things. So it, it ended up being just a wonderful place to go to. But when I left, I felt, man, I let him down, right? My last year was probably my worst year in management, trying to make it happen. There were things that happened where I learned a ton. I had a chance to claim Peter Simicalis and try to do a favor, and he ends up with Pitchner. Um, everything about it just went wrong. I ended up trading Igor Gongolski, who's one of the most incredible young men I've ever met, who was a fan favorite, uh, left us one short of overage, but it was all, if people knew what was going on behind the background and how many lies I was told, it was just a learning experience. But we still had a great team. Uh, I, I would have loved to have seen us take it, but I was like, when Dale DeGray called me about the situation, it was just so huge for me to make sure that this place was left in a good spot. And I remember drafting Joey Hishon, who was lying to me, telling me that Futes, I'm gonna, if you draft me, I'm going to go to college. <laughs> I'm like, Joey, Joey, you college with a J in there. <laughs> You're coming to Owen Sound. So he ends up coming, and for me it was a progressive thing is he ends up being the captain. I mean, I know it was horrible what happened to him with Braden McNabb, another lifeline of mine, and but they won. They won, and it was the most proud moment for me. But I wanted my daughter to know. I obviously I got divorced, and I never. It's such an easy place to lose track with. Like for me, I always get excited driving up there to scout a game. I know exactly I'm going to my second home because that's the place that gave me a chance. That's the place that Dean Lombardi and Ron Hextall came up and said, "Hey, you've really changed the culture here. Now we got to bring you down and change the culture in the National Hockey League because we need the exact same thing done." Because everybody, you know. People find ways to keep away from Owen Sound at the time. And in L.A., it was like the only people they could get are if the wives wanted to go shop in Rodeo. We want people to come. And because of the weather, right, we want people to come down here. Um, and the similarity for me a little bit was if you talked about some of the great players, and I know there was the players team, but there were great individual players, but not a lot of great teams. And when you went to L.A., you looked up and you saw the Triple Crown line and Blakey and Luke, and they had their one run, but there were no team banners and that was kind of our whole goal was to get team banners. And when we won those cups, I was bound and determined. I brought, I brought the cup. I was actually going to bring it in on a helicopter, and it was a real hazy day because it would have given me more time with the cup that day. And my daughters were so excited, but I remember it was cloud-covered, so we couldn't. So we drove up in a big limousine, and that was it. I wanted them to understand where they were born. This is the place that gave Daddy a chance to be an NHL executive. And I really wanted to share that. Honestly, I mean, they were the Super Six at the time. They were all there. I mean, 
Doc Severs has become one of my best friends in the world. I mean, I know what he's going through health-wise, but we talk all the time, him and Barb, and he breathes life into me for a guy that, like, when I'm down, you know, there's certain people, I mean, I went through this thing with this amazing grace that passed away of cancer. There's certain people that when you think what they're going through uh, cancer-wise and stuff like that, and they can get you on the phone and make you feel good about yourself, <laughs> those are special people. And, and I had a chance, and Dermy knew I wasn't doing a favor, but when, when I brought Curtis to Los Angeles, to me, it was more of a, do you know how much character this guy's dad has? And I watched this kid in the gym. And for me, if a kid doesn't make it, I find, but if he's going to take shortcuts. And I used to get, I used to have the insider trading of watch Lance and Curtis in a gym and then throwing around weights. And they look like they were intense eating salad. <laughs> and I told Dean, I'm going to bring this kid down here. I said, last time I saw him, he was like 5'8". Now he's six foot four. He's going to look like Bambi on skates. He's going to fall over the place, but he's going to find a way to play in the National Hockey League. And he's tough as nails. And Dean, like, are you kidding me? And I said, Dean, just give him an entry-level contract. And he, Dean believed in me at the time that I had that kind of pull, and he gave Curtis a contract, and he's never looked back. I mean, it's unfortunate the game's changed so much, but he adapts with it. But if this were the 70s, he'd be a multimillionaire. Yeah, right. such and a good point. It's all character, mm-hmm. yeah. all character, and it goes back to those families. I mean, Peter, Paul, even Brian, they're just such wonderful people. I mean, I know we've lost Frank. I hope Faye's still doing okay, but those people were such a huge part of my life. And that's why I brought the cup back there. It's long been because that's my, I, I don't, it's not bullshit when I say that's my second home. That they literally believed in a guy with no NHL experience and they basically handed the keys to the car over and said, listen, take us to another level. And I'm proud because I, I didn't win it, but I did take it to another level. And I was so happy when Dale drove it across the finish line with that group of kids. It was like, I was in tears and people were like, well, shouldn't you be like, you didn't, I'm like, you got to be understanding that place deserve this so much and I know that the groundwork I laid allowed that day to happen and Dale made some great trades and took it over to and I mean I still and God bless his soul I mean that coach what a wonderful I mean again we lost our grades like what a one we used to talk all like and this is the thing like my Owen Sound connection just never stopped uh and then even when I was in the NHL I was like bringing down it was like Ian McClellan get Ian McClellan to St. Louis you know I got Brian Denny I kept just filtering guys. Freddie was working for us, Fred Wallace. And I was like, this, I mean, Patty Jarrett calls me all the time. He's been so close to getting jobs. So it's like, it never ends at that connection to the guys that I had there. And it's not just the, the guys that were the go-to guys. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, now Jeff Kurzakis, you know, he's coaching in the OHL. Like these guys, we talk all the time and it all goes back to the same spot. Had Jeff on the show. He says, great things about Stutz. Uh, you? Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He says great things about you, too. Well, just tell Crackers next time you talk him that Stutz said, who is this uh, Who is this supermodel you just brought in from college? <laughs> that kills penalties you can't score. <laughs> so you talk about being in Owen Sound, first opportunity for you, making mistakes, learning as you go. I'm sure the the curve has been been massive for you, but how have you seen your philosophy of the teams that you're trying to put together change? Or as some of that, you mentioned character a lot. Uh, it's character always been at the top of the list and, and the rest kind of works itself out. Yeah, it's something I won't compromise on. And, um, and in the most part, if that's the true the truth, what you're going through, obviously these kids, when you get to a certain level, they're all skilled. But I used to have a list of guys that were on a no touch zone, just the stories that I knew and saw firsthand that I would never draft them, no matter how good they were. And I'm not going to even mention their names, but I'm a hundred percent 
accurate on those guys and kids were drafted high that never played a game or you just, I think the biggest thing was when I talked to stuff, I said, we want to draft kids in junior that when you put your head on your pillow, they're not going to embarrass you because it's such a small town. You can go to sleep knowing that they're going to have fun, but they're not going to, they're not going to do things to embarrass you. At the national hockey league level, that philosophy is like, you have a lot of people say, listen, I don't want choir boys. Okay. I, I don't care whether the kids got dirt on them. I want guys to compete. But I, again, I had such a, incredible book on these guys like Nazem Kadri and stuff like that like if I could go back to my combine interviews with these guys that we competed against I remember Dean stopped telling me my first my first combine if I my only question every London night that came in was how much did you get paid right (laughs) (laughs) it was just bothering me because I mean I don't think I mean now in retrospect I'm great chances friends with Mark Hunter and I and I look at what they and I don't think they I just think they had a great program but at the time I was like an attorney I wanted to know. <laughs> Stop inviting. You can't just bring Kane and all these guys in and ask for their T4s. And <laughs> it's not making the LA Kings any better, but I was bound and determined to figure it all out. And uh, it's been, it's, it's, it's amazing too how those, uh, when you think about our division, I mean, between Jerry Basson's probably, the, he's the one that really pushed me to Owen Sound and was my biggest supporter because at the time he lived in Oshawa when I was working with George Burnett and Jerry was trying to run two franchises at the same time. He was actually trying to run the entire league at the same time, but he was in Oshawa more than he was in Erie. So he became my mentor and really, he, he used to say, uh, I know you think you're going to be like Scotty Bowman. <laughs> Get up to Owen Sound, tic-tac-toe, how's your mama? And then, uh, so there was basketball and all of that. And then we... I mean, he's been a wonderful mentor. And then uh, other than the fact I made the mistake, I forgot I invited him and Eric Lindros to my wedding. Should have known better than that. (laughs) 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 That was a bit of a a a forethought. And I might have even put him at the same table just to see how I was just going to ask, did you put him at the same table? Oh, well, it was a a great night, one of the few great nights. But it was uh, it was fun, and then um, no, we went on. I mean, I look at the like the rivalries, like Mark Hunter and I, just like how much respect we have for each other, and how much we shared when we were both doing the NHL stuff. And then, and the best one for me is my relationship with. I, I always grew up with Spot, like he was my winger and junior. But Pete DeBoer and I have become like as close as you can get as far as respect wise. We never worked together, but if you would have thought that. Re- what we went through between Kitchener and Owen Sound to get to where we are now. And I think that's the, the ultimate sign of respect. I mean, when we were making a coaching change, when we went to um, – Dean asked me to go, I'm going to go with the old soul and Daryl Sutter, and you got you find me the best young coach in hockey. And I got Pete – I took Pete, and I got Pete FaceTime, and I think that was how much he knew I respected him. And it's just grown. It grew. And it's it's a strange one too because, I mean – we beat them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, after all the dismal, you know, we beat, we did beat them once in Kitchener, and we when we won our first cup, we beat Pete in New Jersey, and it was special. <laughs> it wasn't a rub it in, but we were joking at the time because Pete always used to, and I don't want to put, but they would look at Owen Sound and like, oh, like we're Kitchener, you're Owen Sound, right? And I remember once storming the press box in Kitchener and telling him just what I thought of. <laughs> I crashed in to the room after a playoff victory to tell him what I thought of Kitchener. <laughs> I think it was Don Cameron and the other guy there that the, at the time, they almost had a heart attack because I was just screaming at them 
we have to beat you. <laughs> you guys are not one of my finer media moments, but I had to get it off my chest. And then I remember that night. Oh, Didn't Mike Angelita score? Yeah. 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 I, I let them know what I thought on the way down. <laughs> we got down there, but it was one of the, it was definitely not my finest moment. And uh, we joked about it. I think that might have ended Don's career. He might think he might have stroke that night. But it was uh, it was what it was. But then Pete and I became like uh, we beat Kitchener or where we beat where he used to joke, I thought, well now I'm in Los Angeles on the beach and you're in New Jersey. <laughs> you need security, you just get in your home rink. So there you go. It's turned around. But he's getting a last laugh in Vegas. But I I just had so much respect for him as a coach and he's always been loyal to Spotter and they it's just just I think the world of those guys. So it's funny how those I've never been a guy that, uh, and there, it's unfortunate there are some people in the hockey industry that when other people succeed, if they've done right by me and I respect them, I'm really, truly happy for them. And there's so many other guys that wait around and they're just so pissed off and bitter when other people do well. That's just not in my, not in my ammo. So, so the uh, NHL draft is, is coming up. I know you had plenty of involvement in that, uh, your time with, with the Kings, and we've already hit on the successes that you've had in the draft. Uh, this year, obviously, pandemic, not uh, playing in the OHL at all, not getting a chance to see some of these guys. How are NHL teams uh, preparing for this, or, or what are you hearing uh, how this draft is going to be different than the others? Well, I've been consulting with a team on the process, not the players, because I don't think it'd be fair because I haven't seen enough of them to do it. But I just find it's incredible. Like for, I can say like the one team, and it's certainly not Los Angeles I'm consulting with, but Mark Yannetti says that it's he loves it. I mean, and I don't, I mean, I can't see how for my strengths it'd be something I like. Uh, there's way more video because there weren't live viewings. I found when you were across from someone face-to-face, you'd really get to know a kid better. And these Zoom calls could be really dangerous with regards to, particularly when I've seen them when, uh, and I've gone through GM interviews on Zoom and stuff like that. I've done the thing. But when it looks like the Brady Bunch, and I'm going to date myself, if you're a young kid and you got nine faces on a screen, I don't know. And I know they're doing some one-on-one stuff. I don't think you're going to enjoy the process very much. And I mean, whether there's tape delay, you're not going to find out truly what the kid is like. So I think that's why a lot of teams have tried to are more apt to. If I think you're going to see near the deadline, a lot of teams be more willing to trade their first round pick this year because it's more of a game of Yahtzee. And there's going to be some great picks made, but it's I, I just don't think you do. Pro side's different, but the amateur side, meeting a kid, meeting his family, meeting the teachers face-to-face without a mask, live viewings, those are so critical to limiting the chance for error. Whereas pro, you've already got, I mean, you can watch a thousand tapes of a pro guy and kind of a, a more, a more, um, what do you say, a finished product. But I, I think it's just a recipe for danger. I know they're working hard at it. Um, but I mean, if I talk to a guy and he said, oh yeah, I watched 10 videos and I just had a Zoom call with eight guys, I'd be scared about risking a first round pick on something that you're not too sure of, you haven't seen in life. You mentioned video scouting. Is it here to stay? Yeah, it's part of it though. It's like analytics for me. The blender's just getting bigger. Um, you can't, I mean, I know there's teams that, uh, and I've used this analogy in some of my interviews and I don't mean to slam pro scouts, but amateur scouting, you're in ranks, freezing, you're not oh, freezing, freezing, <laughs> freezing. We've said a whole lot worse on oh, here. Don't worry. Well, about I, sorry, but that's, that's a bad one. Uh, freezing. And I mean, it's just tough because live viewings are so important, right? And you're taking your notes and you're going back to your hotel that do your notes and, and you're seeing it over and over again. Then you meet the kid, 
you know, you're meeting a kid that might not even be able to grow a playoff beard. And I, I just found pro scouts when, when the world was the world, uh, as we see it, if you, if you were to sit up in a press box with pro scouts, right. And I know this is not going to come across, but if they come in, they're dressed to the yards, they're staying in the better hotels, they're going to NHL rinks, there's an NHL meal before the game. They sit down, they have these incredible colored sheets, which look like computer printouts with their prospects and, and they're working, right? They're working, but they're trying to do too many players. And then as soon as something happens appropriately, they have 25 TV screens around them that show them the eight different replays, right? So if they were talking to a buddy or something, if you're talking to a buddy in a certain OHL rink where there's not a glossy TV set or whatever, if you miss it, you miss it. In the NHL, if you see something, a pro scout gets to see it on the big screen, gets to see it eight times over, and then he can write his little notes based on what he's seen on the TV. And then with five minutes left, it looks like someone pulled the fire alarm and everybody's gone, right? So for me, if you when you break down, especially now the cost benefits, which NHL owners are doing now, how much it costs to have a guy go to a game, travel to a game, put him up per diem, and that's what you're getting – and at the end of the day, you're getting a great opinion, but basically a guy who's watching TV. Why can't you do that at home? You get the same. And it's just something that's dangerous. And it's been something, again, with sports that you're kind of spoiled. But it's something I'd be concerned about. Like that was the one thing with Dean Lombardi. We had the rule. You were not allowed to leave the game until the buzzer went. And uh, that was an L.A. King rule. Uh, and that, it could be. And even if it was 9 nothing, you know, we'd find a way to fudge it but i mean or you had a flight that was unmissable but pro scout you're usually staying in the same town right that night so you're basically rushing back for social aspects and that's not going to cut it anymore because people are going to be so cost specific with regards to that and and i mean they're very valuable but i think again i just well, i used to do it myself because i mean you're watching a pro game and then all of a sudden there's a goal and you have Nine different screens plus a big screen tell you just what happens. You can reevaluate it in an amateur game. If you miss it and you're not in whatever a place with a $9 million jumbotron, you missed it. What kind of advice do you give to young scouts, hockey executives like Matt Dumichel, the assistant GM of the Leamington Flyers? <laughs> Don't ever call an unemployed NHL executive. <laughs> What? <laughs> no. That has happened? I think, uh, honestly, it, at that stage, it's passion. I tell people all the time, you got to, because you're not going to make money early, right? And you're going to need a break. And you have to be able to have a very understanding family that's going to understand that you probably have a full-time job. And then you're going to grind it out for not a lot of money because of the passion for the game. And if there's a break, it's going to open up a door for you. And that's, I mean, that's all I can say. I mean, I've had people call me. And say when when I and say lesson feuds, uh, I'll do it for free, right? I just love the game. Give me a shot, I'll do it for free. And I'm like, that's not how you get to the NHL. You do it for free in junior and minor hockey and work your way up, and then you get paid <laughs> to do it in the NHL. And I so it's not. And I hate to say it because it's not a knock, but I mean, if you could just tell everybody, all your buddies, like, listen, okay, go scout games and send me reports. I won't. I'll do it for free. There's no account. That takes the drive away. I mean, the drive is if you do it for less money when you're young and you go through all those hoops and prove yourself and have success, that you have the ability to turn it into a job and into a profession. And again, so there's always that carrot. 
there's always that carrot for you to go after. And that's, I mean, that was why I always said, I mean, I guess I took a shot at the Leafs and it was not being, but I've always had a problem with if you pay somebody before they've won, what's the, you know, what's the, <laughs> what's the motivation when you're down to nothing other than, I mean, your pride and stuff, but you've already got 11 million in the bank. Right. So with our young guys and I mean, I think the successful teams, like you see what Colorado and these teams are doing. And I mean, these guys are getting paid because they have won. Right. And then it makes a lot more sense in your budget because you can continue to add to your team. But if you're paying all these guys for the potential and their star power, it's hard to add the necessary pieces to win. And the same thing goes for a scout. A couple of minutes ago, you touched really briefly on analytics. Um, Are you a big analytics guy? No, but, uh, but I, I mean, it's part of it. I mean, it's, I think they're, they're very, there's some of them and I get, I get, it's not a cop out. Cause some people like want to say, if you're not in, if you're not all on board, it's just cause you know, you think it's, it's taking into your ability to see somebody live or to, and I, and I think that's, I think that's bullshit because there's certain factors that come in that I think are so valuable about, you know, when you start to, when you can look at somebody's statistics, when you when you base it, especially like when you talk about the amateurs and stuff like that, and you can say player X and player X at this height, weight, his puck possession, his goals, his you know where he scored from, and then you you can type that in, and all of a sudden here are the guys that used to do the same thing from the same places. That's to me is huge. Like those, are the, and they're all good to put in the blender, uh, which is going to. It's I mean basically you've got an imperfect science, and you're trying to get as much information in to make tough decisions, less imperfect. And, and, uh, I think analytics are a big part, but I've also said that if you go all in until they have an analytics that can, you can punch in a bunch of numbers and tell me somebody's character. Then I, I, I I just, it's not that I'm discarding them. I'm saying, don't tell me they're the be all and end all. Last couple questions for Mike Fuda here on for future considerations. Um, what are you looking for in your next job? Um, happiness, uh, passion. I mean, I've really, the thing is I want to get back. It's made me want to get back in the NHL in my capacity. And the hard part is, is when you were at this in certain teams, because all I've done is interview for NHL GM jobs, right? So it's almost like people think it's GM or bust, which is not true. It's just, those are the only jobs that were open <laughs> and those teams called, right? Um, I was offered a general manager's job years back and I turned it down because I was offered substantially less money. And when you've got three little girls, that just didn't make sense to me at the time. And it would have made less sense for me calling my ex-wife at the time and saying, I finally got a GM job. And by the way, <laughs> I'm getting $200,000 less. <laughs> that's one of those conversations that I wasn't prepared to have. Um, but honestly, just the passion of being back in the rink, I miss it. This Sportsnet stuff, I mean, you guys have done the media stuff for so long and you guys are amazing at it. For me, it was just, it still is. I mean, I, I still do it. I, I just find how incredible those people are in their trade to be there. Like like Elliot Friedman, how relaxed he is doing what he does. And and uh, I think sometimes they get out of their box when they start to get into the breaking down the hockey stuff of it. But the amount of knowledge these guys have and the contacts they have, um, like I used to be the guy that just pushed my phone away because 900 guys were calling me at the trade deadline. And I see these guys who can't get off their phone trying to get a scoop. Um, the host there, like Caroline Cameron and David Amber and 
I mean, these guys are, they're gold, right? They make it so easy. But I mean, for me, and you know me guys, I mean, when I first, when I got an earpiece in and someone's yelling at me to hurry up, hurry up, the first thing that comes out of my mouth isn't a good story. It's like, go yourself. (laughs) I'm not finished yet. That was my first draft story in the rehearsal. They're like, tell us the Drew Doughty story again, but do it in 30 seconds. And I'm like, I can't say hello in 30 seconds. <laughs> so, <laughs> I am waiting the producer and they're trying to put makeup on me. And I'm like, not that I think I'm that, but I'm like, listen guys, I went through 14 years in Los Angeles without makeup. And now I'm putting makeup all over me. Like, <laughs> my daughters loved it too. The TV. And I, honestly, I think, I, I think I, I really think I enjoy it. I mean, and they really enjoyed me. I, uh, I wanted to make sure that, I asked them not to ask me questions that I was going to be put in a position to criticize people because I want to get back in. Uh, there were certain guys I wanted to criticize and I did. There are others that I just had to, I mean, it was fun. I mean, it's a great feeling, but I mean, it's like when they flash, like when they bring Wayne Simmons in, when he signs and you're like, he's on the big screen and you're like, Hey Wayne, how you doing? <laughs> and he's like, great dudes. And you're like, you want to say, so what are you doing this weekend? You want to go golfing? And they're like, ask him a question. <laughs> it's, it's like a different feeling for me. Like Bobby Ryan's like, Hey feuds, you know, you know, and I'm like sitting there, Hey, well, you know, how's the golf swing and stuff. And they're like, ask me, just sign with Detroit. Ask him a hockey question. So I'm like, my earpiece at times was, it was fun, but I made, uh, I think I made the most of it. I mean, I won a few debates, <laughs> which was great. Those guys were killing them. So I, sli- I slaughtered everybody in the debates. And then when I finally, uh, they put Jen Botterill on, my mind was like, oh my God, now you're, you got to slow down with what you're going to say. <laughs> because now you can't be, it's easy for me to rip Colby Armstrong and Dustin Bourne and, and Christopher <laughs> Steve. But now Jennifer's on. And the night before she was on with like, she had like four gold medals on. And she was like, they keep showing the poll. And I didn't know people were actually voting. So she's beating me like 15%. We do the last questions and it shows that I've won. And I go to say, I go, well, well, Jennifer, at least now you got a silver. (laughs) 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 And they're like, they stop. They go, you can't. (laughs) That's not bad. That's not nice. That's a great line. That's a great line. They're shut me. I know. Okay. Don't say So it's like your mind's clicking on stuff you know is not, you can't say. But that was like, I thought it was the friendliest, funniest line. But all in all, everybody there from the makeup people out, it was just, I would love to experience it without the, I guess my draft show and stuff was prior to COVID, right? I'd love to experience it when they're all there just doing their thing. Like Ron McLean sent me a note and Don Cherry called me and said, love you on TV, buddy. <laughs> I'm like, I was dying. I was like, this is amazing. And then I'm like, okay, I got to get a real job. <laughs> By the way, I loved at the draft when I think it was Columbus who took a, oh. somebody nobody knew and they all went to you. Oh, yeah. Sammy, like, Cos- <laughs> Sammy Cosentino, the professional, and I love Sammy to death. I'm sitting up there. I might have been doing a crossword puzzle. <laughs> and Sammy all of a sudden goes, yeah, we'll just throw it to shoots. And I'm like, I literally, Elliot Friedman thought it was the best because I started texting. And I start, I went right off like, yeah, well, yeah, you know, he's he's Russian. Looks like his looks like his name starts with an A. Yeah, I was texting like Christian Root too because LA had shut down my uh, scouting files, right? So I'm trying to get crack my files because I know I've I would have seen the kid, but I have nothing to go on. But Sammy just followed me right into the fire, (laughs) and I uh, I let him have it later in the show, and he was laughing so hard. I was like, "Well, Sammy, what do you think about that? Like something that's 
<laughs> Elliot was laughing so hard and he's in the background. He's giving me like, if I'm doing it, he goes, that was per You turned it into a funny moment. And, and then of course you see in Google, it's like, whatever sports netcast has no kid no clue <laughs> and I, of course i call guys and they're like he went way too early and then of course i call yarmo and he's like oh no fuse we wanted him earlier and i'm like oh really yarmo okay. <laughs> well matt was over and we were watching it together and we just howled we thought it was it was great television so you stay in touch with everybody right like Simmer and Bobby and that sort well, of thing? Well, I vote care. You know what? As I said, that's my initial family. Like Mark Giordano, we talk all the time. You know, we talk about hopefully with the, he's got some, you know, like the expansion draft coming up. And um, it's amazing how close I am with that group. Um, Crackers, I mean, I guess he should call Stutz and ask for via reference because he keeps calling me looking for a job. <laughs> but it, it, honestly, these these guys are, again, and I, it's not just them. It's like I talk to Dr. Bob and Barb as much as I can. These people are, and I mean, obviously, I probably got, everybody's got a little much, too much time in their hands with COVID and stuff, but it just, it allows you to reflect on how incredible it was. And I was like, Joe, I was telling you guys off before we went on there, like the other day, like I knew Simmer, I'm in King City and Simmer's in Aurora. And we've shared a bunch of things. And the other day I had gone in and I'd come out to my car and all of a sudden I see this, this chiseled athlete going in with a mask and I decided to follow him in to the liquor store. And I basically followed him around like a, we both had masks on and I followed him around like a stalker. <laughs> to the point I made him uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden he turned around, he got to the cash register and I said, excuse me, sir, will you pay for my wine? <laughs> and <I get> to- <laughs> Six foot three, turn around, and it's like, feuds! <laughs> masking it up, and the guy at the cash register is having a heart attack, wondering what was going down here. And he's like, come on, you got to meet my family, you got to meet my family, and stuff. Because I've kept, Simmer and I've kept, but I've ne- I had never met his daughter, and he wanted me to meet his daughter. So we went outside, and that's when he told me that he was going to resign with the Leafs because he wanted to stay close to home, and his daughter and his wife liked, you know, being close to home and being close to Toronto and it's still his dream as a Scarborough kid to win a Stanley Cup as a Leaf. I said, well, you might want to start with a playoff round. <laughs> 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 but he's wonderful. Like, I honestly, there's certain guys that when you meet them, you know, they, I hope that I made their lives better because I know they made my lives better and Giordano and Simmons because they kind of came out of nowhere and what they've accomplished. I said that one of my most proud moments, and I've said this on other, but it makes me proud because whatever they've done in the ice, they've done in the ice. That's amazing. But when they announced, and it was either the Mark Messier Leadership Award or whatever it was last year, I think it was, it was the finalists were Justin Williams, who's become my best friend off the ice through our relationship with Grace and win a couple cups, and Mark Giordano and Wayne Simmons. So that's when you know as an evaluator of hockey talent that, you know what, you got it right because you got two guys that just continue to make you look proud feel proud away from the ring because you drafted the character and they've never let you down on or off the ice. And it's fun to watch. So that's what makes it worthwhile. Well, well, you feuds, you've made, uh, you've made an impact on our lives too. I've, I've always appreciated that you've always had the chance to respond to a call or a text mm-hmm. or a message. Thank you very much for being on for future considerations. And, and we wish you all the best. Well, you know, anytime I get a chance to hear that voice, 
<laughs> those dulcet tones. Those dulcet tones from even. From We're gonna have to have a reunion in Oakland or Los Angeles when we would joke, and then you went right into the voice. <laughs> I've always wanted to be able to do that. I just sound like Mike Pute all the time. I gotta have that. I gotta come back with that when they throw me on. I just turn into hello. <laughs> Hello. but you have you got that voice that i swear to god but I, I hope you get back at it and, and maddie d and john good luck with vancouver and, uh, <laughs> thanks for everything guys it's always a pleasure and hopefully i don't get off and pass out because of my covid <laughs> this conversation may be the only thing that's keeping you awake exactly. you guys have kept me from dinner <laughs> oh man 45 minutes turned a little bit longer but no uh, my pleasure guys oh our thanks to mike Fuda again for joining us on the show oh my gosh what a great conversation so many great stories so many great stories i i really wish we could have gone for about six and a half hours because i we only have to ask him one more question and uh, we'd have been able to watch the sun go down with him. What a what a great interview. He's absolutely one of the, the top guys that I've ever met uh, in, in the game of hockey. I, I've always loved Feuds. For those people who don't know, uh, because of our uh, affiliation and the fact that we worked in Owen Sound and covered Owen Sound attack games when Mike was the GM in Owen Sound, that's how we've known Feuds and, and we've stayed in touch with Feuds. Mm-hmm. He's uh, stayed in touch with us. Yeah, really- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, from John to Matt to myself and I'm glad he forgot that I might have been one of the guys that might have reached out for tickets in, to the King Chicago game when we were in Chicago <laughs> on whatever one in the 2014 NHL playoffs. Yep, yep. God, maybe he did remember. Maybe that's why he said that. <laughs> This guy. I think you flattered him uh, too much with all his titles at the beginning there. He was going to leave you alone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, don't forget, if you missed our debate show earlier this week, go back and have a listen and let us know what you think about our opinions and make sure you share your opinion. Uh, email us at fourfutureconsiderations at gmail.com. Yeah, and follow us on social media as well. Podcast FFC on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook at For Future Considerations. Uh, one thing I didn't mention on the debate show is about the match. Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady will take on Bryson DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, will you guys be watching and who will win? No, I won't watch and Tom Brady's going to win with whoever he's playing. I know Brady lost last year. He's but, got personalized golf balls. Have you yeah, seen these things? Seen Stop. These. Stop. I'm not watching, but I'll be betting on it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll put a couple bucks on it. Yep, yep. John, you Would host be the, the dumbest thing I bet on this yeah. week. John, you host the bet corner, and for future considerations, who you got? Oh, yeah. I think I'm going with Mickelson and Brady. Yeah. Okay. Good call. Good call. I like that call. I like that call too. I think we're all on the goat's wagon there. Phil and Are we? Brady. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good. We want to thank our sponsors on the show, London Awnings, with Christina and Dennis, quality that shows. And Shane Topolovic and Next Level Athletics in Windsor, our Clarence Campbell, specializing in sports training and nutrition. Just don't grab him by the shoulders because his head just might pop right off. Oh, man, that's so good. (laughs) Happy Canada Day and 4th of July, everyone, again. And enjoy your weekend. And thank you for listening to For Future Considerations. That was a disgraceful performance, in my opinion. In my opinion, that sucked. Their mentality's awful. Their attitude's awful. It's been their M.O. for the last three years. Tonight I saw and heard 
one of the most disgusting, rudest, sick demonstrations in my entire career. Probably the worst. It's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. You're still here? It's over. Go home.